There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome back to A Word with Tom Merritt. That's me, Tom Merritt, uh, helping you figure out how to think in the world. Remember, there's lots of people worth listening to that'll tell you what to think, but there's no chance for all of us to listen to all of them. So we have to take shortcuts. We have to filter information. We have to decide what to bring into our brains. And these are the kinds of conversations I love to have. Uh, as, as you've heard on, on previous episodes, if you've been listening, I would sit in the front room with my grandpa Carl and talk about the news of the day. I would sit in my grandma Roxy's front room and talk about the stories of her life, which taught me about how life works. And so I got lots of different ways of looking at the world. And those kinds of conversations really help me figure out how to think, uh, without necessarily telling me what to think. And it was all training me for this show where I welcome into the front room, Ron Richards. Hello, Tom. Thanks for welcoming me. What a, what a wonderful setup. Like, I just want to get a cozy spot in the front room and, 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 and be in your presence and your grandparents' spirits presence because it sounded yeah. awesome. <laughs> you can, uh, you know, my, my grandma's in the rocker. Uh, my grandpa's excellent. in the big green comfy, you know, chair. I, I, feel, I feel like I hear like, uh, like distant AM radio playing yep. Moonlight, Moonlight Sonata, maybe like <laughs> or, or a Cardinals nah, nah. game on Camelot. Yeah, or a Cardinals game like or just yeah. something scratchy, right? Yep, you know, yep. there's, there's, there's a pitcher of lemonade, maybe. This yep. is just, oh, this is Amer- America. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, one of the reasons I wanted to, to talk to you and the word we're going to use to kick off these conversations, and if people haven't caught on to this yet, uh, the word is is not the topic we have to stick to through the whole t- thing. It's a, it's a way to get going. Uh, but Ron, you uh, you work on a show called I Fanboy, right? I, I do from time to time. I, I helped co-found I Fanboy yeah. back in 2005. No, well, sorry, we co we co-founded I Fanboy the website in 2001, and then we started the podcast in 2005 because uh, I was a fan of yours on Buzz Out Loud, and I was bored and wanted to start a podcast, but I didn't have anything to talk about. So we just, I said, I've got this website. That where we talk about comic books, let's just do that as a podcast, and then it changed my life forever. And still going today. Still going. Still yeah. going to uh, tw- what? Is podcasting for seventeen years now? Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. That's amazing. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, but I, all- just to clarify, I am no, I am no longer a regular co-host of the regular comic book show. Um, I do still uh, come in once a month, and we do a show called Media Explode where we talk about movies and TV and what we're watching. Um, but because uh, I am now employed by a comic book company. It would be it would be unethical. So I, yeah, I yeah. stepped back from the weekly comic book reviewing duties. So yeah. and well, and and that that day job uh, yes. also has you interacting with fans and fandom. Yes, quite a bit. Uh, I do. I, I I don't talk about it a lot publicly, just because you get a lot of spam on LinkedIn when you do. But um, I I, I uh, my day job is at Marvel. Uh, where I help run the digital media department. Um, so I get to work on the Marvel website, Marvel social media and YouTube and podcasts and all that fun stuff. Um, so really an extension of what I did with iFanboy, just really focused on the one brand. Uh, luckily, I think the brand is doing okay these days. So like there's a lot to talk about, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but it yeah. definitely keeps me busy. And it definitely um, not only uh, exposes me to a lot of fans, uh, of the brand and of the characters and the stories, but also helps us like create stuff for those fans to consume. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm very lucky and blessed to, to be in that position. So I want to use the word fan to kick yeah. off our, our, our conversation here. And, and if this were a what to think here, here let's educate you kind of podcast, we'd probably, you know, go into the history of the word and the etymology. Yeah. Right? And, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a fanatic and a fanatic. And it was, if I, I didn't look it up, uh, but yeah. I, I seem to recall it, it sort of arose around sports, around baseball, particularly. Interesting. 
Yeah, uh, I may be I may be wrong about that. But how do you think of the word fan now? How do you how do you use it? Well, it's funny because I didn't even think about um, the fanatic etymology aspect of it. I forgot about that. When we first talked about doing the show about the word fan, I immediately thought of, wow, that's one of my favorite words because I grew up in a house um, probably you know, not dissimilar from your front room with your grandparents, but uh, on Long Island in New York uh, without air conditioning. And uh, I de- oh, in my teen years, I devised a very complicated system of fans <laughs> in my bedroom to cool me down. Uh-huh. And it was actually one of my favorite things growing up, which was the, like kind of like the day where it was hot enough that I had to break out the fans and set up the whole fan system. And I, I have a direction here, Tom. I, I know where I'm going with this. I, I just love those fans. They cooled me down. And they, it, they made it livable in this house, this awful, this awful ranch house in Long Island without the air conditioning. <laughs> and it was something that I appreciated so much and had such a love for that, like, at the end of the summer in the fall, I hated taking them down out of my windows because I just, I just appreciated them so much. And the connection is that when I think of fan, I actually don't think of fanatic because mm-hmm. I think of what, what is that? Wasn't that that Patton Oswalt movie about the crazy fan? Yeah. But, uh, because I think fat fanatic takes it to a level of negativity, which is, you know, kind of the dark corner of the word fan. But for me, fan, much like the mechanical fans of my youth, is something that y- you appreciate, something mm. that you love, something that is a part of your life that enriches your life. And then therefore you become a fan of it. And so much of my career and so much of my life for the past, I mean, honestly, going back to, to high school, um, when I was involved in the punk and hardcore underground music scene has been built around community and built around community that is based on content, which is, I know it's such a horrible media inside baseball buzzword. I'm tired of the word content, but like you find your tribe, you find like-minded individuals who appreciate that same bit of media that you love. And therefore you are all fans and you share that fandom. And when it's a good thing, it's like the best thing in the world. It's a celebration of, of, of the things you love. So that's why I really like this word because not only do I think of cooling down in the summer, but the things I love. So. Yeah. I've, I'm really glad you brought it back around. Cause I, w- I was worried we were going to have to talk about, you know, the different styles of box fans, uh, for, for the <laughs> well, next listen, hour. Can I tell you though, this box fan was like from the seventies. <laughs> it was like canary yellow metal, and then, oh, yeah, like, I know pla- the type. And then I know exactly with the, the type. with the plastic grill. Yep. And over the years, I, if you squeeze the two pieces of the plastic grill, one would snap off. So there are all these like bigger holes. Yep. I don't know, whatever. I just and it had a it had a two plug plug, like it didn't have a ground plug on it, like that kind of. Uh, and, that and, thing there, was, that, and there's a sound. There's a tone yes. to that box yes. fan for sure. And that tone it, does not exist anymore in yeah. modern society. Dyson has has obliterated that war of a fan, but honestly, it's like I I just I've got two sleeping toddlers uh, in the other part of the house. I have a little noise machine that that we turn on white noise when they go to sleep, and I, it's the same noise as this that fan no- noise. So yeah, it's, oh, yeah, God, I love well, that fan. And, and can we just talk about the fan? I was gonna say that <laughs> the side jag about the appreciation is so good. It's Thanks. really really good because fandom. Being a fan of something isn't about the content. It's often about content these days because we love to tell stories and share stories. And it's one of the ways we can all experience the same thing, right? Because we can all watch or read or listen to the same music or, or show, but it's any being a fan is a shared appreciation of whatever it is. It could be box fans. And in fact, that's one of the things the internet has made possible is you can be a fan of box fans and go find a bunch of other fans and, I would not be shocked if there's uh, a box fan like meetup uh, where people yeah, oh, you know sure. get together and 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 share their love and pictures and and restoring projects of all of that. Like that, the fan runs so deep in that way. Right. And that, and that's the thing is that because when, when we think of fans, you think of crowds of people, swaths of people, you think of, you know, you think of that fanatic aspect of it. You think of like this, like extreme mm. approach to it, like the, who, uh, Steve Sansweet. Uh, do you know Steve Sansweet? It's from Star Wars. He used to work at Star Wars. He was the guy he ran. I'm pretty sure he ran the Star Wars Insider magazine for years, oh, okay. like the fan club magazine. And then he worked for Lucas and I believe he's independent now, but he's got, a, I forget the name of his ranch, but he has a, a much like George, a, a ranch, and it's just filled. He he claims to have one of everything that's ever been produced oh, in that Star Wars. That, right? Okay. Yes. 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 I'm, yeah. I'm familiar. Yeah. 
and so he, he you know and so you you see the picture of him in the in the archives with all the stuff around him and you think oh, like oh that's a fan right, right. But but you think of somebody like me who grew up with Star Wars, and it's so easy to talk about Star Wars for fan for, as for fandom. But like I grew up with Star Wars. Yes, I had the action figures. There's some, you know, I, I'm drinking out of a Star Wars pint glass from Alamo uh, Draft House. But like I don't have a warehouse full of every piece of merch that ever came out, right? So there's a spectrum to that fandom, and I do feel that the extreme side of fandom is what often gets covered by the media, what often gets you know discussed. But like when if you sat here and told me, Ron, what are you a fan of? we could probably spend the rest of this conversation with me listing the things I'm fans of, you know, like numerous things that we have shared fandom of twin peaks, for example, right. Right. Our old podcast together. Right. Um, You know, whether for me, it's comic books or star Wars or sci-fi or music or all these kind of things, baseball, you know, like, you know, sports, there's so many things, chefs, restaurants, there's so many things to be fans of. Um, I just see it as kind of a, uh, you know, I, I go back to that word of a celebration of the things that we love. It's really important to talk about, important it's not that it's not important there's so many important things sure. in the world like let's talk well, about ending poverty but <laughs> but it's if you want to understand fan i think you have to understand that it can mean so many different things yeah. like you said it and it can come from the word fanatic it's short for the word fanatic but that's not what it means anymore just right. as the word terrific comes from terrifying something was terrific if it terrified people and now we use it for to mean something's awesome right it had the it yeah. followed that same journey but it's interesting that when you brought up the media coverage of fan we assume everybody thinks a fan is a positive person who supports their team no. or movie or or whatever and then the media is like but the fans have gone bad and did this but, or that but there, right? there there is a there is a dark side to fandom too there's yeah, a dark yeah. side to the fan you know which is like and going back star wars always seems like the great example but like star wars star wars has had a real toxic fan culture for the most recent years you know, f- filled with gatekeepers and racism yeah. and like awful, aw- like awfulness and like kind of breaks my heart as someone who loves Star Wars to see kind of like what, what has become. And I will give the folks at Star Wars credit and, you know, technically coworkers of mine, cause we all work for the Walt Disney company, but like they've really, you know, kind of faced the tox- toxicity headlong, uh, head first on social and like call people out and tell them the wrong and talk about what Star Wars stands for. It stands for inclusivity and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And it's really kind of turning the tide, which is fascinating. But like, that's a great example of like, you can become such an intense fan of it that you feel the need to protect it. And you feel the need to defend it and you feel the need to exclude people because there's no way they can understand it the way you do. Right. Right. And, and like, and, and that's the life lesson for me, which is like how, how to not take it too far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there is a lot of similarity to fandom and tribalism. The, the first episode right. of this series was, was Andrew Heaton talking about uh, tribalism uh, and, and, in that case, we were talking about it more in the sense of politics, but I think there's a root human behavior to identify with a group. Uh, and just like all of our evolutionary behaviors get modified uh, by modern circumstances, we can identify with more than one group, right? I can be a fan of the BC Lions and a fan of BTS and a fan of Star Wars, uh, and yep. and they don't contradict. but. I think there's the person who becomes so involved in the fandom starts to want to circle the wagons and, yes. and, and like a tribe say, you know what? Our tribe can't be everybody or it doesn't have meaning. We have to set right. boundaries on it and I'm going to set the boundaries here for what it means to me. That doesn't always have to be a bad thing necessarily of like, oh, well, you're a fan if you, you know, listen to the music of the thing and that's it right okay that's fair you're a fan if you know every lyric of every song well that starts to feel like gatekeeping like there's gradients there it's yeah and and it's this sense of this sense of ownership that comes from a long-term period of fandom yeah right and i even go back to my my music days so like i mentioned you know like i you know i got into punk in like you know freshman year high school and 
all my friends were in bands in high school and I couldn't play anything. So I just went to all the shows and then eventually I, I roadied and then I, I, I started doing a zine just because I wanted to be a part of the community and do something. Cause I was such a fan of it. But what was, what was, what I often laughed about and had so much, you know, some great conversations similar to the conversations you have here on the show with friends about was that, you know, what is more inclusive than punk rock, right? Like the whole point of punk rock was to, separate from the norm and to and to be different and to be Break free thinkers and like and- yeah exactly and welcome everybody and then what you saw was you saw that this scene uh, this uh, scene emerge inside of the, the the local scene of local kind of you know uh, geographies and so you had like the people who were really dedicated and huge fans of the music and they started feeling ownership of that community and then what you had was the exact opposite happen where you know god forbid in 1994 on, at a Long Island hardcore show. If a dude walked in wearing a football jersey, yeah. he would be shunned because you know that jock is here, right? Like, but but wait a minute, aren't we the culture that lets everybody in? Like, it was so. It, it, it's really interesting from a, I guess, a sociological standpoint or a cultural standpoint to see how these groups wrestle with. Um, embracing those who have any level of fandom in what they do, not the, uh, let me check your bona, f- bona fides at the door. You know, like, you know, like how, yeah. you know, I, I make fun, actually Josh Flanagan, who, who's the, one of the co-hosts and co-founders of iFanboy. I joke with him cause he's going through a, a minor midlife crisis in his forties and getting into music. Like he, uh, like, you know, listening to a lot of bands I listened to back as a kid and one band he got into was bad brains, which is great. Legendary punk band, stuff like that. And I have a rule by the way, like I, how I define my fandom is that I only wear band t-shirts of bands I've seen live. Uh-huh. Right. Sure. Because I feel, I feel like it, like I bought it at the show. There's a connection or there. I, There's I, a connection I, there. I, I, I right? was supporting that band. I was there. I watched them. I experienced right. the music directly. Yeah. I get right. that. I get that. And, and a lot of people don't do that. Like obviously hot topic is made on that. You could buy yeah. a t-shirt of any band and that sort of thing, which is fine. I don't question it. Anybody can do it. So he had bought a bad, bad brain shirt after having never seen bad brains live. Um, and we we're hanging out. I just said, name three songs right now. Just tell me th- the name of three songs. And he, and he couldn't. And so, but that was even me. I mean, I was busting his chops. Yeah. That was right. even me gatekeeping to a certain degree. For right? sure. You're not a, re- you're not a real fan. You don't even know the names of songs, you know? And so, um, it, it, it definitely is the dark side of fandom, which is that sense of ownership and that sense of, um, uh, that, you know, like you need to check people's ID at the door, which I personally have tried to rally against as much as I can in, in my life, but I've been guilty of it too. It's like you, 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 you feel an investment to it. Like, and you, and it's a weird thing that happens. Uh, in, and on one hand, I've always wanted to be an evangelist of the things I love and, and welcome as many people. And if it's good, you should share it. But I've been this, you know, like I got pissed when that band signed to a major label and when Green Day blew up and right. like all this sort of stuff, right? Like you just, it's, it's a weird human reaction that I don't, I don't think we can control. And I don't know if it's tied back to our sense of belonging or going back to that tribalism or our sense of community or trying to find a definition, um, for how we define our own identity in the eyes of those around us. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like there's a common arc with all fandoms that I have ever been associated with or or have observed, even if it is from the outside, which is when it's small, you can you can be immediately part of it just by knowing about it, just by right. being interested in it, right? Because when it's small, people are like, oh, I'm so excited to find someone else who's interested in the same thing. Let me help you learn more about it, right? Come on in. Yeah. I'll teach you Dungeons and Dragons in 1978 because no one else knows it, right? Then yeah. it starts to grow and there's there's just a natural human tendency to, to start to get tired of seeing people discover something that you've known for a long time and you start to feel a little sense of superiority of like, yeah, you know, I remember being excited at the first rule book, but, you know, right. I that's a long time ago. Um, two, people doing different things with it than you did, right? And once it becomes big, when it, when it reaches scale and there's so many people doing it, now it not only doesn't feel special anymore – Right. You know, because there's so many people doing it that you feel you you push back and like, no, what was cool was that if you knew, you knew and and it was right. fun to meet someone else. It's not fun to meet someone else who knows the thing or is interested in the thing when everybody's interested in it. Right. Uh, and then and then I think that that 
creates some of that backlash and that gatekeeping of like, well, it, you can either say, well, I'm not into it anymore. It, it, it's they sold out, right? It's the they sold out uh, situation of like, it's too popular now, or it's the gatekeeping. I'm, I'm going to try to keep the fandom smaller again. I'm going to try to build a new wall. Well, what's what's interesting, and and what what kind of first came to mind? I keep saying what's interesting. I apologize. Um, but it what, is. What, what, <laughs> it is interesting. But what what, came, what immediately came to mind is a lot of my experience with iFanboy. Like a fan is in the title, right? It, it was the which, by the way, in the history of website and podcast names, if I could change one thing in my life, I would <laughs> I would come up with a different name. Um, uh, although I will say I am proud of the logo. Um, uh, if you've never, if you go, you can go to ifanboy.com and see the logo. It is just ifanboy written in the Fantastic Four font. Yeah, and pretty, um, pretty I will genius. I, yeah, I will give. I, I will. I will take the compliment in that uh, there, uh, a comic book creator by the name of Darwin Cook, um, who unfortunately is no longer with us, um, but was a good friend of mine. Um, we were at a dinner at San Diego Comic Con one night, and and I was I was lamenting the name ifanboy and saying if we can go back in time and change it, and I said or at least come up with another logo, and he immediately told me he's he very curse word laden yelled at <laughs> and he's like he's and he came from advertising before he worked in comics he worked in advertising in toronto and he said that logo is perfect it does it, i see that i know exactly what it is mm-hmm. i know i know exactly where you guys are coming from it, it it's it speaks to people who are into comic books in a way that nothing else does the combination of the name plus that font and that look he's like it's classic and it just and it, it communicates what you guys are about which is being cool. fans, right? Yeah. yeah which is uh, one of, you know, well, and great God, to I, hear to, from somebody who knew. <laughs> yeah. Who respected, who also then told me I have, I have a face that he, that I have a face that looks like it's being asked to punch, to be punched. Um, so, <laughs> so you got to take things with Darwin's side of the great assault. That yeah. tells me everything about him. <laughs> exactly, that I need to know, yeah. Cause I've met that kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, um, what I found with I fanboy was that you had, there's almost a cycle of fandom that I've seen, at least in the comic book geeky kind of world, world, right? There's a cycle of fandom where you discover a thing, you immerse yourself in it, you try to learn as much as you can with it, you seek out community, you find community, find like-minded people, and then and then you begin to turn on them when they don't agree with you, mm-hmm. right? And and this is also oftentimes divisive in uh, you know a lot of the move from comic books to movies and the adaptations and things like that. But um, so much of at least of the of the of the fandom at scale that you mentioned that I've dealt with has been um, folks who found validation through that connection and fandom. That okay, great, I'm alone, and I found people who are like me. Awesome. But then when we dis- disagree, how could you disagree? I thought you were on my side. And, yeah. and then it's just, it's a weird mind That's a cycle. Point, that it, kind of that happens, doesn't even know. the scale doesn't even matter there. Right. Well, this is, sometimes the scale does because it depends because it depends on the number of people who are coming more in chances and to new voices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's like that. It's like th- that d- division within fandom. And you see it going back to Star Wars again. But you see that. I'm guilty of it. I'm an original trilogy guy. I'm sure you are too. We're of a, yep. we're of an age where Star Wars ended at Return of the Jedi. And, I mean, it and- literally is one of the first movies that and uh, um, uh, 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 Grizzly Adams are there. You know, two of the <laughs> earliest movies. Of Herbie the Love Bug. The, you know, the, yep. It's when I started to be able to have memories that I could still form. Star Wars was was right there. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And but then there's a whole other generation that grew up on the prequels, and that's Star Wars to them. And, yeah. And I argue with them often. And there's a whole generation that grew up on the cartoons, which I've never even watched. And they're like, I'm watching stuff on Disney Plus, And I'm like, who is this person? And one of my staff is like, oh, that's so-and-so from Clone Wars. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't matter. That doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> count. You know, <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah. it, it's just, it, it's just, it's this weird, it's this weird dichotomy between being based in loving something and having the ability to have it go negative so quickly for a myriad of reasons that I find fascinating. Because so just, much, it, because we tie identity into it, right? Yes, it's, exactly. It's who you are, right? It's the emblem. It's why, it's why you wear the shirt, right? You, you have a rule about wearing the shirt that, of the band you saw because it means something for you to wear that shirt and, 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 yeah. and signal to the world. I, I am a bad brains fan. I, I right. that's why I'm yeah. wearing this. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I, I often, I've co-opted a line from Goodfellas, one, another one of my favorite movies and something I did a podcast about with Goodfellas minute. Um, but there's a, there's a line in Goodfellas where they're talking at the end of the movie where they're talking about the mob life. And it's like, you'd meet somebody and say, Oh, he's a good fella. He's one of us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I use that all the time. Like, Tom, if I'm introducing someone to you in the tech podcasting space, I would tell you he's one of us. Yeah. She's yeah. one of us because, and that's an indicator of like, okay, they're part of the tribe. They're part of the fandom. They're part of the whole kind of thing. It's a shortcut. 
to yes. where like I don't have to I don't have to vet this person now because Ron told me everything I need to know with that one right. phrase. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And uh, conversely, on the other side, as someone who identifies with different subcultures and different communities through fandom, I def- it it is completely defined my identity now. Like to the you know to the point where like especially when in in terms of music where uh, you know you you be out at a bar with a bunch of people and someone's talking about the latest George Strait album or whatever, and I, I'll just I'll, I'll leave because I'm like that's not my people. Like I, you know, like it's Although not, George you know, Straight's like, pretty good. Yeah. You, you should give I, yeah, I can't, I have no idea. I pull, I almost said George, uh, Thorogood. Is that, Marina that's a musician too, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. George Thorogood, a whole, the whole, you know, a whole different, but also it's, good in its, its own way. Yeah. It's really the, the, the Georges of music. Is I could that, run down the whole list. Yeah. yeah. No, I can, I can see that. What about George Harrison though? I mean, George Harrison's pretty good. He's the, he's likely the, you watch get back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just to, the 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 to see the budding genius of him, and then to to understand what he went on to do in the seventies, well, and just like you know, yeah, that that was an interesting situation. Speaking of fandom, yeah. because I watched Get Back with Eileen, uh, my wife, and we're both fans of music and the Beatles, and so it was yep. fascinating to see that process captured, amazing, and the editing that was done to make it feel seamless, like you really were there, just wonderful, and. It was one of those situations where you're a fan of something and you're like, even though it's the Beatles, the Beatles aren't as big now as they used to be. You know, the world has aged. Uh, They haven't been around. There's only two alive. So I wasn't sure who I could just really wax eloquently about that with. And I was so excited to find out that Brian Brushwood, our mutual friend, had not only watched it, but was just as excited as me. And that, that's the spark of fandom when you're like, Oh, you watched the thing too. You know that. Oh my gosh. Can you believe that one part where he did this and that? And then, and you're. You're bonding over that. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because my, my wife and I, um, have, we've known each other. We went to high school together. So we've known each other forever. And she is probably one of the only relationships in my life that is not built on common likes. Ah, uh huh. You know, like, like yeah. a, again, lifting it, lifting it from, uh, from another source material, but the, uh, the book and the movie High Fidelity, um, makes the point of, uh, in the context of dating that, uh, it's, it's not about who you like. It's about what they like. Mm-hmm. Right. And the idea like, like you have a, you have common interest in music, you have a common interest in whatever, like that's what's important. But my relationship with my wife proves that actually like she's into yoga and she's a vegetarian. I love steak, you know, like, <laughs> like we, you know, like, and, and while we have some commonality, like some music crossover and obviously we like one another because we got married and things like that. Yeah. She, she is not, she is not as, as rabid over media and movies and TV and stuff as I am. You know, and there's stuff that she is into that I'm not into, but we both kind of came together around the Beatles because we both love that and we both watched get, get back together. And it was the kind of thing where like we just couldn't wait to get to dive back into it, to be yeah. like to and spent hours analyzing it and talking about it and just like the realization, like the moment of the the thing about the Beatles as, as a fan, because we grew up with them, they were always older. Yeah. Right. It was this thing from the sixties and it was before I was born and all this sort of stuff. They were perfectly encapsulated, right? Because they had a beginning, middle and end as the Beatles. Their solo careers were still going, but you know, the Beatles themselves. Yeah. But what blew my mind is what we saw in Get Back, which is at the end of the Beatles career, but like they're like 28, 29. And there was one scene where they wrapped up recording and they're hanging out and Paul just starts climbing the scaffolding, the lighting scaffolding, like an anxious kid. Yeah. And I was like, now as a mid forties dude, I was like, Oh God, they were just kids. Yeah. They didn't well, like no one, like, you know, no wonder. And we, we, you know, at least me in high school, they were adults, right? Yeah. Cause they were yeah, in their twenties. Exactly. They, yeah. they were grown ups, And then, yep. yeah, to, to watch them <laughs> being 50 and go yeah. like, Oh yeah, no, okay. they, they, and, and to see them kind of casting around and like, we know because we have four sixty more years of of music history since then we know like oh you just need to do this and then right. and then you'll fix your band's problem but, but they had never existed there had never been another beatles yet <laughs> but what but what's interesting about to bring it back to fan what's interesting about being a fan of these things is that there is a a like Jurassic Park, like you know, a a, a a mosquito stuck in amber. There is a moment in time that encapsulates that fandom and really does a number on your own internal age clock. Yeah, right. Like yeah. like where where I you know I you know I'm 45. I do not in my head. I'm like 26. Mm-hmm. You know, like like it is. It, I am stunted in this time period of 
when I was going to see music live and when I was going to Comic-Con for the first time and when I was like all these things were happening for the first time and life seems so vital. Not that life doesn't feel vital now, sure. but there's a connection to the past through fandom that helps me feel younger, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, and I see that a lot when I go to conventions uh, and you see you see people from all walks of life, but especially when you see somebody who's you know 70 or something yeah. and, and they're at the Doctor Who convention and they're up on all the new Doctor Who stuff yeah. as well, but they can tell you everything about the early stuff because that was at that point, right? And that that's yeah. what, what bound them to it. It made me think of a really interesting phenomenon, and, I, and I'm curious if you have also experienced this, where especially in that, that period, that vital period, right, maybe between the ages 12 and 18, where you start to discover stuff, right? You discover yep. the Beatles. You discover yep. uh, different music. And at least for me, there's always a dividing line in my head of three categories, and, and I'll keep it to music uh, for, okay. for this particular case. But there's, let's say, let's use Bruce Springsteen as an example. Sure. I, I discovered Bruce Springsteen uh, with Born in the USA, the cassette. <laughs> and as did as did millions of people because exactly, that was his right. that was his breakthrough mega hit. So right? I was yeah. 14 years old. That comes out. I buy the cassette. I'm like, wow, this guy's really good, <laughs> right? Because he's, you know, I'm nice. young. I haven't really been exposed to Bruce Springsteen yet. So I start going into the catalog and I've got a, a friend who's, who's an older friend. He's like two years older, but in my mind, he was like <laughs> so much older. Who's like, ah, you, you've got to check out Asbury Park. Asbury Park's amazing. Like a, a lot of people think Nebraska or, or, or this or that, but you know, and, and so I started learning about Bruce Springsteen and I, I listened to all the songs and I'm like, man, all these things are amazing. Amazing. This one's great. That one's great. That one's great. So I have in my head two categories. There was like the incredible things that Bruce Springsteen did that were never wrong. They were all incredible, all his works up until Born in the USA. And then there's Born in the USA, which is also incredible because I discovered it myself without any help. And it's really good and everybody loves it and everybody agrees, but it feels more modern to me. I feel like there's a dividing line. There was all the stuff he used to do, which is his old sound. And now there's Born in the USA. And then every album that comes after that, I feel like isn't, isn't as valuable because yeah. I already know it. It's not yeah. that it isn't good. The, the songs are good, but that I'm like, oh, but you know, I already know about him. So I devalue how good the thing I love is from then on. And and you could apply this to any band. Duran Duran was another one I did this with where I, I, I kind of got in with Hungry Like the Wolf. And those first two albums, I feel like those are the good ones. But the ones right. after that, I already knew about them. I will say though, Ordinary World is like, is holding <laughs> up to be a legendary song. It came on, it came, I listened to First Wave on Sirius XM. Well, in the and car, that's the thing. It's and, like, the, the songs are great, but there's just yeah. something in my mind's like, yeah, but no. that's in the category of I already knew about them. Well, the, well, and, 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 and what you're describing is something, uh, is a theory that I've applied, which by the way, talking about bona fides, uh, you know, I worked in a record store for, for many years. So like I can talk snobbishly about music. Um, but, uh, I'm, a, I'm actually a firm believer that, that, not a firm believer, but, but I have a belief that most bands have two, maybe three good records in them. Um, and there's also a correlation aligned to when you discover them and how you enjoy them uh, and your tolerance for them, right? So, like, Jimmy Eat World is a great example of a band, right? So, Jimmy Eat World, one of my favorite, favorite bands. Um, I discovered them much like I discovered them in a VFW hall outside of Detroit, Michigan at the uh, Detroit, uh, Detroit Hardcore Fest in 1997. They were playing on Sunday afternoon. They drove up from Arizona. Their first record had come out on Capitol. They blew everyone away. Like it's a VFW hall, you know, bunch of kids, right? In March, right? It's cold outside. Everyone's all jammed into this room. And, um, and they're awesome. Bought the record, loved it. Their second record, Clarity, came out that, that, even better, like, you know, and like you're, you're just feeling kind of immersed in it. And then Bleed American comes out and it blows up and they become super huge. And I stuck with them though. I love that record. Bleed American's awesome. I went to go see them on that tour at the Roseland in New York City, which is a much bigger venue than a VFW hall in Detroit. Right. And then, um, and then I remember then the next album came out. I listened to it. I'm like, eh, it's fine. And then the next record came out and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And then the next record came out. I just didn't buy it. And then there's like years of records that I just have not even listened to, even though I describe myself as a Jimmy World fan. Mm -hmm. um, 
the line stops at some point and it might be tied to what your thought is, which is like, there's something, you know, about the discovery and the, the, uh, you know, they say you, you, ne- you never forget your first time or you never like, there's nothing like the first time. Right. And once you kind of immerse yourself in it for a little while, there's only so much juice to squeeze out of that lemon, so to speak. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's a bias in me though, because yeah. uh, I I think of you too, for example. Oh, um, well, you you too, as far as I'm concerned, Octone Baby's their last record. Like well, I I just I discount everything after that. And and maybe that's true, but my personal experience was I started working at the radio station in college. Joshua Tree had not come out yet. Uh, oh, wow. so U2 was, uh, you know, war, uh, right. and, and they were and, edgy, they were and, underground and they were, they were, and like, and they were yeah. amazing. And I was like, yeah. you know, this, this is really interesting. And then Joshua tree comes out and I'm like, Oh, this is also very good. And everything after that, I was like, yeah, not as good. Yeah. Even, even though Octung baby is very good. And I will hear songs from Octung baby and like, ah, oh, this is one of the really good U2 songs. And then remember, Oh, but no, it's from the later album. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like there's just a bias against that. REM is another one losing yep. my religion. That album is the album where like, yeah, but I already knew about them by then. So that right. album can't possibly be as good. I will say what's the frequency Kenneth is an also another oh, song that man. holds up. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a great song, but, um, uh, well, I, what I'm interested in, what you got me thinking about is the reverse of this, which is the discovery moment and the, the, the entry into fandom and the immersion, right. And the, how do you, you know, like when you said, let's, you know, let go back to, you know, middle school, teen years or whatever, when you become a fan, the, the, and this is a, this is somewhat of a difference between now and then. And here we are two old men talking about how life was better when we were kids in the eighties yeah, and nineties. But in this case, like there was finding something new and discovering something felt like a secret that you had that you weren't, but there was like a forbiddenness to it. And you weren't, and like, and the, the, the adventure that you go on, almost like playing King's Quest, King's Quest on your PC, the adventure that you go on to find more information about it and discover it. Like, so for me, my one of one of the big categories of music I'm a huge fan of is Britpop. I love Britpop. And the entry point for me was a band called Suede which literally was two moments in time back to back was that I was watching 120 minutes on MTV because what I would do is I would tape 120 for those who don't remember or know 120 minutes was a two hour show, obviously 120 minutes. Yeah. That, it was literally, that was on, that was on Sunday night at midnight on MTV. And I was in, you know, I was in eighth grade, ninth grade. I couldn't stay up that late. So I used to tape it and then I would watch it uh, through the week and that's how I discovered bands and stuff like that. And I saw a music video for Suede's song called Metal Mickey. And then they showed their their first album cover. And it's like this, this drawing of two androgynous people kissing. And I knew nothing about – I didn't know what Britpop was. I didn't know nothing about it. I was just like, I like that. I went to the record store, bought the record sight unseen, and consider myself a lifelong fan of them despite their bad records. And the discovery of this new thing and then the journey it went on to like buy magazines to read an interview and then like, oh, wait, okay, the singer used to go out with the girl from the, – the singer from Elastica and, and she's dating the guy from Blur. And then you start building this like family tree mental yep. map of all the connections and like you read the liner notes to see who they thanked and like things like that. Like that journey, I don't know if people do anymore because all the information is so available. Well, they they do the, it. They just do it yeah. in a day now, right? Yeah, you just exactly, go start yeah. doing a search and then – and, and it, Wikipedia. Yeah, I w- that, it made me think when you were explaining that it's like one of the reasons that fandom is so much more intense now is you don't have that slow buildup. Yes, where you're 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 going out and discovering things. You're able to just immediately immerse yourself in the fandom within seconds. Yeah. And so, if you want to keep that feeling going, there has to be more, right? Right. There, ha- yeah. there, there has to be. It's like a drug. There has to be a more intense sensation to keep you. You know, you build up a tolerance to to that really fast. Yeah, and I, I don't want to be one of the. I don't want to be similar to one of the negative people we talked about earlier. But I really do think that there were that there was more value, or at least for me, it was more fun in that slow build and that adventure. I totally look at it like an adventure of like finding more information out, yeah. finding more like minded people. But that said, now like you, you know, a few clicks of the keyboard and you find that community, you find that Facebook group, and then immediately you're immersed in that community that I do advocate for and do love. So I got to imagine there's pros and cons to it. But but man, and and the thing is, even now in this day and age, there's stuff that I discover 
and you want to learn about like it's just that discovery and that that begin that entry point into fandom is is kind of what I uh, you know I don't want to say is addicting but is super attractive in terms of why you you know like what what, what motivates you in, in yeah. absorbing things that dopamine you know? so. hit. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I imagine that before recorded music became common, you know, since we're we're using music as our example here, that there were people who were fans who when recorded music came around was like, ah, it's just not as valuable now. You can just go buy the wax cylinder and listen. Right, you yeah. don't have to wait for them to come to your town. Uh, <laughs> it was so much more meaningful when I sought out the sheet music and had to play it myself on the piano. Like, it, I feel like there's there's always that. There's always like the new way of things makes it too easy. But those yeah. of us who grow up in the new way of things don't think of it as easy. They, we just think of it as the new way of doing things. It's, it's just the status quo. And there's some you know, adaptation right? to it that's like, well, sure, I can find out all the connections and and the actual songs easy now, but right. I don't know all the intricacies and and bands are are better now about creating whole storylines, you know, that they, they go with them and you have more more complex stories that that folks are telling and and this goes with tv shows and movies where where the movies leave lots of easter eggs in and connections and secret connections to other parts of the the fandom for you to find because it isn't as much of a journey to just discover the movie like you've right. you've, you've got to give people a little more to go on there Right. And it's, it's interesting though, because you have me thinking now about like the things that I, de- I, the, the, the ways I define myself as a fan, right? We've, you know, I've talked about music, obviously comic books, you know, movies, things like that. But one thing that you and I share is a, you know, fandom of baseball, right? Of yeah, sports. Yeah. I, I never chose my fandom. I, I, you know, I was, I was seven years old and I said to my dad, I want to go to a baseball game. I didn't say I want to go to a Mets game. Yeah. I said, let's go to a baseball game. And, and sadly, we went he to, took we, you to the we, Mets. Huh. We went to Queens and I had no choice from there on out. Now I still have gone on that journey of like, once you discover what baseball is and what Mets are, you know, the baseball encyclopedia and past years and stats and all this sort of stuff, it still happens. But like, that's a fandom that I never chose. Which I still will, yeah. I will, I will lay down and die for, but like, and I can't tell you why. Like, no, that is, that is really interesting. And I, and I think different types of fandoms are different in that way. I think movies and sports are more like that than, than music. Music is, it seems to be more of, of part of your rebellion, right? Like yeah. you, you choose your music to, to differentiate yourself. Uh, yep. whereas sports, I tried to rebel, uh, cause I, I grew up going to Cardinals games. We went to Bush Stadium. But my grandpa that I mentioned in the intro was a St. Louis Browns fan. And he denied that he was a Cardinals fan till the day he died. He was like, I'm a Browns fan. I don't have a team anymore. They left, right? (laughs) Because the Browns moved to Baltimore and became the Orioles in the 50s. But while he protested against the Cardinals, because he had grown up as them being the crosstown rivals, he followed every game. He listened to every game on the radio, watched every game that was on TV because none of them were on TV back then. He read about the Cardinals in the paper. We talked about the Cardinals all the time, but he refused to admit that he had become a Cardinals fan. And so I tried to rebel. I, I became an, or I tried to be an Orioles fan to like, you know, support the heritage. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a, a picture of me wearing a Cubs hat, like, which is the ultimate oh, re- oh, rebellion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a, you know, one of those embarrassing gotcha pictures that they'll, they'll show against me when I try to run for Cardinals something someday. <laughs> but, but in the end, I came back to the Cardinals because. I never really left. It was it was the team that I enjoyed watching growing up. Uh, it was the team that I had all those great conversations about baseball with my my grandpa about, and so it was baked in. Like like yeah. you were saying that you were taken to a Mets game and you you were stuck being a Mets fan. I even tried to wriggle out of it, and it was like, nah. There's just something emotional when you're that age 
that those logos and those colors and that team gets gets burned which, into you. Which I can't even, which I can't even, I can't even fathom because like a, a friend of mine who also grew up in New York, albeit a Yankees fan, uh, moved to the DC area and is and is now just like I see pictures of her and her family at Nationals games and they're all in Nationals gear and I'm like how can you just like because you move become a fan of the the yeah. team in that city like I lived in San Francisco for 10 years I loved going to Giants games I always wore my Mets hat uh-huh. you know like 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 it's 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 again tied to that identity and it's it's funny cuz going back to fandom of my day job I was actually chatting with one of my coworkers at Marvel cuz he asked me what team is uh, Captain America a fan of is Steve Rogers a fan of uh-huh. and I said and I said well you know, he's, he was born in Brooklyn. So, you know, I'm going to say he's probably a Mets fan because of, you know, kind of the, the location. And he disagreed. He thought he was probably a Yankees fan. I was like, well, no, actually, let's think about it though. He was probably a Dodgers he's fan. He's a Dodgers fan. That's what he's I was He's a Dodgers fan. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so the, the era, question, right? The, yeah. yeah. So the question is whether or not he stuck with the Dodgers after they moved to Brooklyn or if he then just became a fan of everybody because he's Captain America and he's the best. Well, so that's yeah, probably right. where we netted out on. But yeah, he's sure, he, sure, sure. <laughs> but I would see the Dodgers being because he, he's, he goes to sleep and the Dodgers are in Brooklyn. Yeah. Right. He wakes up and everything else has changed in the world. So of course the Dodgers moved, but you know. Yep. He was he was gone for a long time anyway. So yeah, what uh, everything has changed. He, you know they they don't even have the senators in Washington anymore. My goodness. Right. Uh, how I go back to the I go back to the to Shoeless Joe, the book by W. P. Kinsella, that Field of Dreams is based on. Where yeah, the the the, the and then in the movie they adapted it to. But the 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 writer it was J D. Salinger in the book. But it's like and then you know they. And the Dodgers moved to LA and they tore down Ebbets Field, like the whole, like the disconnection from yeah. fandom and like yeah. tying to rec- reclusiveness because this thing that you love now was taken away from you, which is funny because going back to our shared fandom, like Twin Peaks, like that's, that's another one that like, you know, I, I had a rabid fandom of and it went away because it was over. And then it came back, right? Like this idea of this fandom boomerang or this, you know, kind of fandom being taken away from you, but then being thrust back into it with a reboot or, a re- you know, like mm-hmm. whatever, like in our whole, in our old bizarre culture now of, of monetizing everything and getting stuff out and doing things, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I, I do think that there's it, like the lifespan of a fandom ending, but then having it be resuscitated. Is another aspect of it because you, you no, have to reconnect again. That know? is really interesting because yeah. at a certain point, you know, the source material gets exhausted if there's no new source material coming in, and and some people some people could continue to find novelty and 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 adoration in that uh, and be intense fans all the way to the end. But but like you say, I, I think I was the same way. I'll boomerang back myself every once in a while. But before Twin Peaks came back to Showtime, every once in a while I would just go back and rewatch. You know, right. every once in a while I'd pop on the soundtrack. Like it would just come back and like, ah, you know what? I, I really want to re-experience. I want to want to tie myself back to that time in college when I was going over to friends' houses and we were making speculation about it. Uh, and so when it came back, I had mixed feelings because I absolutely wanted more Twin Peaks. I'm like, oh, the idea of new Twin Peaks to find out, you know, where they are 25 years later. Loved that. But also I was worried because not that I'm not one of those people who's like, Oh, you ruined my childhood by making the prequels kind of, kind of, I don't <laughs> believe it's like, I still can love everything I love, even if there's a new thing yeah. that's made that's bad. But I also was like, but, but will I like the new thing? You know, will right. it's, it's less about it would never ruin the original for me, but, but will you make something where I'm like, Oh, I wanted more, but this, I did. It wasn't this. Right. Uh, and David Lynch was, was certainly the right choice for that because he was going to try to give you something entirely different and not just like feed you more of the same, but also a risky choice because he's going to give you something different. Right. Right. Which is funny because as, as I've evolved in my fandom, I don't want to revel in the past. I do want to be challenged. Yeah. And going back to start tying that back to star Wars, you know, that they're pumping out a lot more content, trying different things. I would rather have, something new like the Mandalorian than something rehashed like the sequel trilogy, you know, like, like force awakens and that sort of thing. Like I, I want the challenge and I'm willing to accept the, it going, going not with what I expected and possibly not liking it versus just getting refed the thing that got me into it years ago. Yeah. I, I am a lore nerd. 
So <laughs> when when I get into fandoms, I really like the lore that surrounds them, and I and I, I'm an actual fan of history as well, and and figuring yeah. out like what actually happened. And so I approach some of storytelling like history, like tell me more. So yeah. The Force Awakens, I loved because it started to shine light on what had happened, and right. I think there is a case for that is something that not everybody wants and and that's fine. Not everything is for everybody, but there's a case for you can do that really well, but it's really hard because you have to be a fan of the thing you're making, you know? And, and I think that showed with the force awakens that, you know, there, there was a fan sensibility, but there's a difference between fan sensibility and fan service. Fan service, I would say is when someone applies that, to something where you thought I would like this as a fan, but you didn't understand my fandom. That's exactly. when people throw around fan service rather yep. than fan sensibility, which was, oh, you obviously understand this the way I do. And so you you extended it in a cool way. The the, the, the great example of this, which I talked about a lot on iFanboy uh, in the past pandemic years or whatever, I know we talked about it at some point, was that there's a moment in the movie Solo when Han is running away and goes to the uh, Imperial Navy kiosk and ends up signing up to join the Empire, and they play the Imperial March like in the scene, like on a commercial, yeah, which was clearly fan service. You're like, oh, it's the Imperial March, like it's whatever. And of course, me and my friends hated that because it wasn't like it, like it, you know, we know all that music is not diegetic or is diegetic, <laughs> whatever. Like you know, you know, yeah. like that sort of thing, right? Um, but then you know, then I think about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, one of my all time favorite movies. That, that the opening sequence with young river phoenix is young indy where he takes the whip to protect himself from the lion and whips his chin and that's how he that's how he gets his scar yeah we love that right so like why did why did that bit of fan service connect and something that i love and treasure and then the fan service in recent star wars movies i i i, I turn the cheek at and say like, oh they're trying too hard you know like, yeah it's it's it, and i think your point is that like it's fan service that doesn't understand the fandom and that that's it's someone who thinks that they're giving me what i want because it's just something i recognize which is which it's more than that and when you're dealing with lore that already exists it constrains yeah. you as a storyteller yes. right and and i think that's where a lot of very good storytellers go wrong where they're like yeah but i want to tell a, this kind of story so let me just make it work within the framework and it's a different skill to say let me actually connect the dots and make yeah. a good story rather than take a good story and try to fit it into the framework of what existed before and and right and that's you know i don't disrespect somebody who tried to do that and failed because that's that's difficult yeah um, i mean i mean that, that's that that's that, that's going back to star wars that's why the mandalorian worked and some other things didn't you know like as much i was so excited for the book of boba fett and so let down by that entire by that entire series just because it was it, 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 it was yeah. just trying too hard and it was it was just it was a weird kind of thing and then the 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 best episode of boba fett was the one that was about the mandalorian yeah. right like so like there's a little you know like and the thing is there's a little bit of alchemy there's a little bit of magic that happens in media whether it's a book or a movie or a band or music. And that's kind of what I love, which is that you can't put your finger on it and you possibly can't replicate it, but it's when everything kind of connects and works and that's what draws you in. And that's what makes it, you know, impossible to ignore. Um, you know, like even going back to on the music example, you know, another, another band that I love that I abandoned because of popularity, like green day was able to, reignite that magic with American idiot and bring yeah. me back in as a fan, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, you can't, you, you can't, uh, break it down too much or try to like, you know, break it into its parts because it's, it's not, it's, it's art, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. And we all, I, I say this all the time on sword and laser as well. We all bring our own experiences into every piece of art we consume. Yep. The, the, the consumption of art, whether it's books, movies, TV shows, a painting, whatever is, semiotic it's an interaction between you the art itself and the intention of the artist uh and so that's always different for every person and that's why i tend not to say i tend i try not to say this was bad i try to say i didn't enjoy that because right. i've also had situations where i've enjoyed something later in life that i didn't enjoy or vice versa really enjoyed something young and then later didn't enjoy it because i'm bringing different experiences at different points of your life Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the thing is that you can't, 
have it happen again. Like that, yeah. it goes back to it. And that, that's kind of like your first time in love and all this sort of stuff is that like, you know, you can chase the dragon of that. Yeah. But, you know, but you're, you're not, it's not going to work. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I just I I want to before before we get to uh, our game because uh, we could we could talk forever and we're we're gonna have to put a line under it at some point. But yeah. I would throw out that I feel like Doctor Who is special in the fact that it has ridden all of those waves. Like it, yes, it's it's a special case of having been started as as a, a one thing that turned into another and then leaned into it and then kind of burned out and then tried and to come back and then it failed, but then tried to come back and it did. Uh, and that's why Russell T Davies, I, I think is, is deserves a lot of credit for being able to take something that is way too old with way too much lore should never have worked. Uh, and he not only lost his first doctor after a season, uh, but still was able to, to make something really compelling there. So I, I'm kind of excited that he's coming back. But it was funny though, is that, is that like, I totally understand and respect and agree with everything you said about Dr. Who I'm not a fan. Yeah. And, and what I love about it is that Dr. Who and Harry Potter, something also I'm not a fan of um all trigger stranger things something else that i i wouldn't say i'm not a fan of i just haven't watched um what i love in fandom is the reverse of this what i like to call the 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 air suck clutching pearls moment where i tell someone that like yeah i'm not a fan of harry potter and they go you're not but they're so good and like the the and it's so funny that there's harry potter Stranger Things, Doctor Who, Breaking Bad. These are all things that I have either not watched or have decided I'm not a fan of. Uh-huh. That, like you almost insult someone who's a fan of them by not doing it, which just cracks me up because it's like, whatever, like, like lo- love what you love. It doesn't matter. I acknowledge the quality of Doctor Who and the fandom and everything they do. I understand it from an intellectual level. I've watched some of it and not for yeah. me. It's okay. And, you know? and it's all over the place. That the, the reason, yeah. the real special thing about Doctor Who to me is that it has been so many different things and yet still has maintained a consistent fandom uh, somehow uh well that you know having you admit you don't like breaking bad i think is a good way uh (laughs) to to leave this uh are you ready to play a game i love games let's do it all right this is called this or that some of these i recycle from guest to guest because it's kind of fun to see how different people uh react and and some of them are are brand new uh so so basically what happens is i i will give you a choice of this or that and you tell me which one you chose and why okay the sound of a dot matrix printer or the sound of a laser printer that's a good one i would go with dot matrix ah the classic the analog yeah, yeah. the patter patter yep and, and, and for me, for me, I'm sitting, I'm sitting behind an Apple two, two plus using print shop from Broderbund. Oh yeah. No, yeah. that's a, that's a scene that you just said <laughs> right there. That's amazing. Uh, this is a, this one's kind of a personality test fast or slow zombies. Slow. Because I don't believe in fast zombies. I just, you, don't, like, you don't believe they exist. You don't. You don't think they should. No, I mean I understand. Like there was the what the World War Z or whatever it yeah. was with the whole with all the twenty eight days just later think, has fast zombies too, which was good. I will give twenty eight days later good. I, I just feel like zombies are it's the slow foot dragging so crawl. You're saying like, because of tradition, because that's tradition. That's Night yeah. of the Living Dead was slow zombies. That's that's yeah. what zombies are. Yes, that, yeah, I'm see, I love this question because we get both kinds of answers, and yet there's always a different reason. Yeah. Because people have said, oh, slow zombies, because they won't catch me as if it were real. You know that. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I know zombies don't exist, so I'm okay with that. But <laughs> it's, just, it, it's just, it's just more of, of, at the heart of what zombies are. I, I, I applaud the innovativeness of making fast zombies, but mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't subscribe to it. All right. No. Um, Bob or Mike? Am I a bad person if I say Bob? No, no, that's the way more interesting answer, right? right. <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know, these are characters in, in Twin Peaks, and Bob is pure evil, and Mike is his antithesis. Right. I just, but the thing is, that I just love everything about the story of Bob and Frank Silva, and the the, the shot of you know the hiding behind the the, the dresser shot, and like I, I just I, everything about it. In fact, in the iFanboy Slack. Uh, we have a Slack bot that anytime somebody writes Bob, it does that image of him crawling over the couch. Right? <laughs> so. Well, and it's it's that that fandom thing where people tend to like the negative stuff, yep. right? They they want to play Horde in in World of Warcraft. They want to be House yeah. Slytherin if they're Harry Potter yeah. fans. All that kind of stuff. Uh, I think you can answer this one, uh, but tell me if it's a conflict of interest somehow. Irredeemable or incorruptible? 
irredeemable. Mm, mm-hmm. I just liked it better. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is it the same thing where it's like well you got the you got the good gone bad situation? Yeah, where kind of. We're, we're talking about we're talking about the comic book from yes, Boom Studios, yes, right? Yeah, okay, absolutely. good. I just want to make sure. Yeah, I mean um, we could change it to be something else, but that's what I intended. No, no, yeah. I just I thought Irredeemable came at a time in the comic book world where it like Mark Wade is is just a fantastic writer and fantastic creator, and that that concept because he had Wade has such a great uh, career and history of writing. You know, the classic superheroes, including Superman and the take, the, 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 the whole thing with your deal was just like the turning it on its side kind of mm-hmm. thing and, and did it in a way that no one else could have other than Wade. And at that moment in time of comics, we needed that story. So yeah. that's kind of, you know, and, and then Incorruptible came along afterwards and it was like, it was good, but it, but Irredeemable felt like, felt like a moment. So. They're, they're kind of, it's, it's kind of a, a an unfair comparison, uh, yeah. in, in that respect. Although, I tend to like Incorruptible better. I think because Irredeemable, I I was amazed by. I was like, ah, yeah. the the you know Superman goes bad kind of uh, you know premise was incredible. But then Incorruptible, I was like, well, he can't do it again. He can't. Right. He can't go the other way. And I and he did, and I liked it. So I I, <laughs> I feel like that maybe I I just had more admiration that he was able to pull it off. I don't know. Right. <laughs> uh, hammock or beanbag chair. <sighs> Hammock. Yeah. I find as I get older, it's very hard to get out of the beanbag chair to get up front. <laughs> Some so. people think it's harder to get out of the, the hammock because I've heard people pick beanbag chair for the, for this book for the same reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like a hammock. I like, I like what a hammock does for you. Like I like the, yeah. the, 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 the free swinging kind of feeling of the hammock. Like, Can you read in a hammock? Sure. Sure. Yeah? Well, it depends okay. on the hammock. It depends yeah, on the hammock. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, and now immediately I'm doing the Simpsons, the hammock district bit in my head. Um, <laughs> but the, um, like the, cause my sister has one of those hammocks that is like, when you're not in it, it's just like, it, it like uh, oh, it, bunches like, up. Yeah. It yeah. bunches up versus the hammock that is stretched out. Yeah. I actually like that's the what hammock I have. That is stretched, I, I have like the, the hammock, hammock that's stretched out. The stretched out hammock, I think, is a little more secure in that yeah. regard. So. And it's easier yeah. to get in, yeah. I think. All right, uh, host of All About Android, Samsung yes. or Pixel? Pixel, all the way. Yeah, I am not. I, I going back to when I did the show with Eileen. Jesus, now eleven years ago. Uh, I, I I know it's just awful. Um, uh, the, the the fact that I've been associated with not one but two podcasts for more than a decade is crazy. Yeah. Um, but you you share the same things. Yeah. But um uh no, but I for whatever reason I've never been uh, a Samsung person. Like I I again respect it. It's like Doctor Who for me. I sure. I see see what they're doing. They're, there's some innovation there. So they've done some things. They definitely changed the game in a lot of in a lot of uh, ways and shape and form, but I've never owned a Samsung phone. Samsung is the Doctor Who of uh Android phones. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Seaver or Dwight Gooden? Funny that you bring this up. I got to go Dwight Gooden because not because I like Dwight Gooden so much, but I'm not a Seaver fan. No, really. And the thing, again, I respect the man. I no, know it, it is a little, stuff. I'm having that Harry Potter reaction there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a Mets fan who doesn't like Tom Seaver that much. Yeah. Um, well, cause the thing, and it's all about that generational. I grew, I grew the, the that first Met game I went to was in 1985, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, you oh, know, yeah. it was, you know, like, yeah, his rookie year and, and, and the Phenom. I remember getting his baseball card and all that sort of stuff. My problem with Tom Seaver isn't about his playing days. It's about, uh, in the late nineties, when he was in the broadcast booth for the Mets, he was, he was awful. He just made, he made everything about <laughs> himself, can, which I just ruined. Yeah. Yeah. And, and completely soured me on his whole career. And I just, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm glad they put a statue up of him, blah, blah, blah. But like he would throw out the first pitch, pitch at Met games and he'd be in a suit and he would pick up some dirt and rub it on his knee and then throw the pitch because, you know, because his, his pitching motion back in the day, it was so elongated that he would scrape his knee on the mound and his knee would always be dirty. But the fact that he would pick up dirt and put it on his knee on his suit, it's like, like, it's just kind of like, okay, dude, like, like, you know, like, like to stop patting yourself on the back, please. Like his ego just got, got me. So I, uh, you know, that I feel like I, I dodged a bullet then because, uh, I loved Tom Seaver growing up, uh, because I, I like, was doing this reading club when I was in grade school and I read the biography of Tom Seaver. And it's one of those picture book biographies that, you know, makes people sound amazing, whether they are or not. And I was just like, Oh, I love this. I love this. I, I, and his name was Tom and I was Tom, you know, and all this stuff. Uh, and so I always had a soft spot for Tom Seaver. Of course, I never liked Dwight Gooden because the Cardinals and the Mets were like, you know, neck and neck 
during during right. that period. So, um, yeah. yeah, I never had to listen to Tom Seaver in the broadcast booth. So it was, yeah. it was rough. It was rough. Also, right. he had mar- he had a marble mouth. It three was, more, was three more here: savory okay. or dessert crepes. Dessert crepes. I have a sweet tooth. Yeah. Just yeah. do you just want the sweet? I just uh, want the sweet. Dogs or cats? Neither. Ah, I I'm, like I'm this not, answer. I, I I hate to do this or that, but like the, the, I'm not a pets person. I don't like pets at no all. Pets. So, yeah. Well, just, it, this is bad. I mean, I'll, I'll back it up. Is that so? I've if I had to choose one of them, I would choose dog because my family's been a dog family. We mm-hmm. had two dogs when I was growing up. My sister has dogs. Um, uh, so I would definitely, I, if I had to choose between the two dogs, yeah. um, I do not like cats. I think cats are like the, like the foot soldiers of Satan's army. Like they just, they always get scratched. They always hurt you. Um, but pets just break my heart, man. They die. Yeah. Right? They do. Like it just, yeah. Like the only, like my father didn't cry at his father's funeral. He cried when we put our first dog down. Like, yeah. it, like, like, like that breaks his heart. I can't, but the I can't cure is more it. pets. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. Uh, and then hot or cold. Um, cold. You're a cold person. All right. I'm a cold person. Yeah. yeah. Not that you're so. a cold person, but no, you're right. No, no emotionally cold. I'm dead inside. You're no, quite um, the no opposite. I, I'm taking, I'm taking that. Well, what's just funny though, because I, I'm taking it as temperature. Like yeah. right now I have the AC pumping and like, it's been, it's been like 90 degrees in New York and I, which is nothing in LA. I know, but, um, no, it's I've, been cooler keep, here than New York this, this, yeah. this past week, which is crazy. Um, I'm keeping the uh, the house at like 72 degrees, which is like my wife walks around in a sweater. Uh-huh. Um, but um, but what's funny is that you know when you're talking about food, um, I've been getting more into spicy food and hot food versus cold oh, food, you know, like that sort of thing. So yeah. so there, there, it depends it depends on the meaning of hot or cold, you know. So. Yeah. Well, Ron, my friend, uh, as I knew it would be, it was a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for for sharing so much about fandom for for taking so much time to chat with us. Really appreciate it, man. Of course, wouldn't miss it for the Tom's got a new podcast. I'm lucky to I'm lucky to have been invited. Uh, no, I really appreciate it, and and we could I could do this for hours on end. So yeah, seriously, I, I appreciate you, you gabbing with me. So, uh, if you want to direct people to to places, uh, where should they go to find out more about what you got going on? I got. I'll run down. I got a lot. Um, okay. Yeah, so as mentioned, it. as mentioned, you you know you know about Marvel. But go to marvel.com or follow of Marvel course, on social. Yeah. You can see my work. I don't know if you've uh, heard of that. It's a it's a, a publishing company. They do some movies, folks. Check yeah, them out. They're great. Yeah. yeah. Um, check out ifanboy.com where you can check out the ifanboy podcast. Great conversation about comic books as well as I I pop in every month for the for the movies and TV talk. Um, as you mentioned, I co-host all about Android over on the Twit Network at twit.tv slash aaa. Uh, me and Jason Howell and uh, Quinton Dow or the and Florence Ion or you know every week talk about Android and the Nothing Phone and all that fun stuff. Um, and then lastly, one thing we didn't touch on in our conversation is that my uh, my my horrible horrible affliction of turning my fandom into work, um, as done with comic books and technology. Most recently, uh, I picked up the hobby about ten years ago playing pinball, and then I, uh, me and Jay Adelson from uh, from Dig and Revision Three Fame, uh, co-founded a company uh, a, a company called Scorbit. You can check it out at Scorbit.io. We've got a mobile app as well as some hardware that basically connects pinball machines to the internet and uh, does a whole bunch of cool stuff from there. So uh, check out Scorbit.io. Fantastic. Uh- Folks, I haven't been mentioning it because we started recording these before I really was sure which one I was using, but our, our URL is awordpodcast.com. Uh, you can go, uh, pass that around if you're, you're wanting to subscribe or, or give it to other, other folks. Awordpodcast.com. Thanks you again. Thanks you. I, there's so much thanks I had to pluralize it. Thank you again, Rod Richards. (laughs) It was great talking to you, man. My pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.